really? Lord, have mercy. <laughs> it reminds me, um, it's, we could practice that a little bit, I think, because when that starts flowing in us, we need to get up. We need to move because that's the joy of the Lord. I mean, that is the joy of the Lord. The Lord gives us these talents. He gives us these things that are brilliant, and we share them with each other, and we can't help but get up and dance because it's the joy of the Lord. Woo! (laughs) All right. I don't know what to do. Look at the time. Okay. Lord, this is your time. What do you want to do with it? What do you want us to be about? What do you want us to notice? What do you want us to see? What do you want to give us? Um, My spirit is stirred, and I want to pay attention to that. Thank you, Lord. Today, in, uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Just one verse today. I know I killed it with doing a whole chapter last time, but today it's just one verse. And I don't have the PowerPoint clicker. <laughs> I got a little distracted. Thank you. And um, I was thinking a lot about what to focus on for today's message. What does the Lord want to say to us? And I couldn't help but think about how we were so frigid last, last week, weren't we? I mean, it was amazing. I mean, Facebook was blowing up with all the weather shots and the dashboard shots and all the things about how cold it was. And the newscasts were being, you know, lengthy about the weather and people even in California and New York were talking about our weather and you know we sent videos we have a we have this door that goes out where we let the puppies out to go outside and they ring a little bell and it it goes out to our raised gardens and I said Scott let me videotape you going outside and so I had the videotape the iPad up and I was videotaping him and I said honey you're gonna go check on the garden he goes yeah I'm gonna go check on the garden and he opens this door and this wave of frosty smoke comes and billows him and he steps outside and he's gone he's in the midst of this freezing billow of smoke. We sent it to someone in Southern California, and he says, holy mother. He says, <laughs> mother earth, that is. And he says, I can't believe it that it's that cold. And there's people who in this country have no concept of what we have endured. <laughs> no concept at all. Scott and I drive this 2004 Buick, and we just had a conversation a couple of days ago, and the air conditioning doesn't work. And he goes, are you ready for a new car yet? And I said, I'm not sure. I said, when summer hits and I don't have air, I'll let you know. Um, but it's got about 220,000 miles on it, but I love that car. I can drive that thing, and I don't care if it gets dinged up. I don't care if it gets dirty, and it gets me from A to B. And when, we, when it was built in 2004, it had all the bells and whistles you could want in a car. It was an amazing vehicle. Well, it also has a thermometer in the little dash. And this last week, I would pull out of the garage. It, would sit, it sits in the garage because I love it, and so I'm nice to it. Mark, my car sits in the garage. <laughs> and so 
Um, and I would, so when I got in the car, it would say it was 10 or something like that. And so then you, you start the car and you let it run because you're nice to it and you, you want it to warm up and then you back out of the garage and you watch. Have you done this? You watch as you begin to drive. It goes nine, eight, seven, six. Yeah, faster than that, Jim Brown. That's right, faster than that. And before you know it, you're driving on the freeway and it says 32 below. And you're like, yes, that is a minus before that 32. But it happens kind of slowly, one degree at a time. And then when you come home and you put it back in the garage, it goes, oh, thank God. I get to rest and the thermometer starts to come back up because it gets warmer in the garage. Today, if you factor in the wind chill from last week to today, we are 100 degrees warmer than we were last Tuesday morning. (laughs) I don't have a concept for that, and I've lived here my whole life. But today, we get to go to Romans chapter 2, and we're going to be talking about do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And we're going to talk about how that happens. And I think over a lifetime, it happens. And it happens one degree at a time. It happens slowly. It happens on purpose. It happens intentionally. But it does happen. And so we get to look at this verse. And this verse has contributed in a great way to kind of this life message of mine. That we do change. That we serve a God who changes us. And doesn't leave us where we used to be. And makes us into something new. And brings us to a new place where we are not where we used to be makes us free, and it goes on for a lifetime. It, it, he brings us to a place where he, we get to say, I'm not who I used to be, which is so freeing. Does anyone else feel that way? Just a little bit, even if, it, even if it's a few degrees, that there's something that's shifted in you since being a follower of Christ that you go, oh yeah, I don't, that doesn't get me anymore. I'm not where I used to be. It's so freeing, and it all begins with being renewed in our minds over a long process. And if I can, take advantage of the analogy and just say, it happens one degree at a time. So let's look at Romans 12. And it's, uh, can we turn these spotlights down just a little bit? So here's Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing... You may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I put up the NLT translation too because I want want us to notice something. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Let God transform you into a new person. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I want to start with the goal. I love, I'm a visionary. I love to know where are we going. Then we can figure out how we're going to get there if we know where we're going. So what's the goal? Paul says the goal is that we would be able to discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How many of us have sat with the Lord or sat in our quiet time or sat in our car while we're driving and go, Lord, what's your will? What is the will of God? Wouldn't it be great if we just knew it all the time? 
It's interesting because in the New Testament, there's a couple different ways that you can look at the, um, the will of God. One of the Greek words is boule, and the other one is thelema. And both of them have a capability of having several meanings and nuances and different perspectives and different ways to approach them. One is the sovereign will. The sovereign will of God is when he says, let there be light, and there's light. There's nothing that will stop the sovereign will of God. When he says it to be, it will be. There's this other will then that we talk about, and it's like the moral will. So, thou shall not kill. Thou shall not covet. Thou shall not lie, steal. When these, God, when these decrees are said, they can be broken, can't they? We see it all the time. We have a choice in it. And then there's this part of our lives that this whole area of life where we need wisdom. We need discernment. We need to know how to approach the will of God and discern and, and discover and be with him and find out what is his perfect and good will for us. Places where biblical statements don't apply very clearly and to these morally complex situations we find ourselves in. We can't point exactly to a scripture and go, this is it. This is my answer. Because it's so complex. And so we are put in a position where we have to rely on the discernment that God has given us, on wisdom that we have gained through the years for God to help us um, find our way, for God to guide us. So we find ourselves asking, is this the will of God or isn't it? How many of you make a decision and you're like, I don't know if this is God or not. I don't know if this is his will. But we need to learn it and we do that by having wisdom and discernment. That's our goal. We have this goal that we're able to live in such a way that we can know God's will, his perfect will and way. And so we begin with... um, with PowerPoint 3, it says in my notes. <laughs> and Paul says, he begins by saying this, do not be conformed. Do not be conformed to this world. He says this with such great understanding. It's, it's, when I was reading about this, I was like, oh my gosh, he gets this so much. He understands the present evil of the age that he's in. He understands, we've been reading about it through 11 chapters of Romans. He understands the persecution that they're under. He understands the pressure that the believers are under to go a different way, to quit following Jesus, to go back to the law or to go back to paganism. It's, he understands the pressure. He understands the persecution. And yet he says, do not be conformed. So he encourages them. He says, resist this, you guys. Don't go back. Resist it. Do not be conformed. In chapter 13 of Romans, Paul says, make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Even though believers have new life, they still must consistently renounce the flesh. Isn't that true? Come on, somebody. Isn't that true? We still have to renounce and resist the flesh every day. Every day. Don't we struggle with this very same thing that Paul is talking about? The world says, be this, don't be that. Think this way, don't think that way. 
If you have young adult children in your house, they're constantly challenging this. That's what the world is saying. And we want to we blame it on our not understanding the next generation when in reality, we're feeling the pressures to conform to the world. So Paul wrote to the Romans in AD 57, do not be conformed, resist it, don't let it happen, and so it is for us today. Just because the laws of our land say something is okay does not mean God says it's okay. Doesn't mean it's okay. It takes wisdom. It takes discernment. It takes being with God to understand what he is asking of us and what is okay and what's not okay. But somehow, slowly, if we're not aware, if we're not paying attention, without much notice, we slide into being more and more like the world than we want to be. And it happens slowly. It catches us off guard. It happens one degree at a time. It happens so slowly when all of a sudden we wake up and we go, oh my gosh, I don't want to be like this. I don't want to think this way. Do not be conformed to this world. Paul says this, but be transformed. Be transformed. Don't resist being changed. Resist the world, but don't resist transformation. These are the things that are going to get us to the goal that we will be able to test and discern and know the wisdom of God. These are the things that are going to renew our mind, that we are not conformed to the world, but we allow ourselves to be transformed. So I want to park here just for a minute in this word transformed. Here in Romans, it's this word called metamorpho. Have you guys ever gone onto a online to a Bible like logos or something where it, it, you can hit a speaker button and it tells you how to pronounce the Greek word. So this, this voice comes on and he's like, metamorpho. So I'm in my office going, metamorpho, trying to figure it out, metamorpho. I don't know if I got it right or not, but it doesn't really matter. Um, but one way to pick up the meaning of this word is to change from the inside out. To change from the inside out. To change the outside. To match the inside. There are three places that we find metamorpho in scripture. One's in our scripture today, in Romans 12, 2. The second place is in the Gospels. It's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in these accounts, the same word, metamorpho, is translated transfiguration. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about transformation or transfiguration. This is a time where Jesus takes um, Peter, or yeah, Jesus takes Peter, James, and his brother John up to the mountain, and right before their very eyes, Jesus changes. He changes into something other than what he was. There's this transfiguration that happens. And it's, let me see if I can find it. I think it's in Matthew. It would be Matthew 17, I think. Nope. Let's try Mark 9. It's so funny. I have to read this to you. So in Mark 9, 
Come on, let it be Mark 9. Yeah, it says here, after, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up high on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured, metamorpho, transformed before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. (laughs) Who remembers when white socks were the in thing? And you would spend hours trying to bleach them to get them white. And Paul's like, and Mark is like, and no one on earth could bleach them as white as as what was seen. I thought that was funny. So he's transformed. It's this remarkable, supernatural event that just blows the mind of the disciples that were there. And they're like, how did he do this? How did he change? How did he transform? This is important for us. Because how Jesus transformed from the inside out is the same way we get transformed. And it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how we get transformed. That's how we get changed. How many of us desire transformation? How many of us want to be more like Jesus? Does it burn within you, even when you're in a desert? Sometimes when I'm in a desert and I'm not connecting with God, I get angry. Well, where, what's underneath the anger? There's always something underneath anger, you guys. Well, it's just... I want that. I want to be more like him. I want this true transformation where we can say he's made all things new. I'm not who I used to be. When I was growing up, I had so much self-hatred. So much self-hatred. And I think maybe there may be people here and I want to tell you that that can go away with the transformation of God by the power of his Holy Spirit. I could have never imagined I could be where I am today, more free to be me than ever before, and loving who God has created me to be. Still in progress. But this word transformed is a word that shouts of the mercy of God. It just shouts his mercifulness. A gift he wants to give us to have because of his great love for us. It's his work. It's beautiful. And he wants it for every one of us. It's his plan for us all along since the fall that we would have an opportunity to become more like him. And unfortunately, sometimes we tend to resist change, don't we? My brother-in-law, Jim, uh, he's 72, maybe? 71. And we were at a family function a couple weeks ago, and he was telling me a story. Here, let me, I have a picture of him. So here's Uncle Jim in the front with the hat, and his friend Owen. And Uncle Jim and Owen live up at the lake. And there is probably, there's a circle. This is where Scott and I met up at the lake. These are our people. Let me just clarify that. And so, <laughs> We, there's a circle up there where, you know, everyone's living kind of retired and, and they didn't used to. They used to go up on the weekends and then everyone got older and then they retired up there and now moved there and sold their places in the cities. Come on, Lake people, you know what I'm talking about. And so Uncle Jim lives up there. Uncle Jim is a gatherer. 
He takes, in the summer, he takes the elderly on pontoon rides to go fishing. And he, he's the one that rides his four-wheeler around the circle and checks on people, makes sure everyone's taken care of. Well, every Tuesday, Uncle Jim takes Owen, his friend Owen, his neighbor, to, um, is it, I don't know if it's County Market or Shopco in Cambridge. He says, come on, Owen, we're going to go shopping. And Owen has his list. He has his list of groceries. Owen is legally blind. He can't drive. And so Uncle Jim takes Owen to the store. And so Jim is telling me the story. And he says, I was in the, the uh, hand lotion aisle with Owen because he had hand lotion on his list. And he wanted this, I don't know, Vaseline intensive care hand lotion that he's always used. He wanted the same kind. And so, I mean, have you, you know the lo- that aisle. It's, you've got thousands of choices of what to get. So here's Jim and Owen, and Owen can't see. So he's like, well, what's that one? And Jim is like, no, that's gold bond. Well, what's that one? No, that's a vino. A vino, what's that? And he goes, well, I want the same kind I've had. And Jim looks at him and he goes, Owen, it's not here. So they're having this argument in the hand lotion aisle at the grocery store. Owen, it's not here. And he, he, all of a sudden Jim goes, Owen, when's the last time you bought this lotion? And he goes, well, Joyce was still alive. Joyce is his wife. And Jim goes, Owen, that was over 20 years ago. (laughs) Owen didn't want to change. He wanted the same lotion. It's in our nature to resist change. But Paul's telling us here, don't resist change. Don't resist change. So how do we do this? How does it happen? Well, it's not... Here's... Here's the next point. It is not creating a new list of better behaviors. Come on. It is not a list of creating better behaviors than calling yourself transformed. It's not saying, if I do this, if I do this, if I don't swear, if I don't look at this, if I am this, if I do this, if I do that, there, look at me. I'm transformed. This is not transformation. This is not transfiguration. This is not being changed from the inside out. John Piper says it like this. Transformation does not mean switching from the to-do list of the flesh to the to-do list of my moral effort. We could create a guide to Christian living from here. And it could be called a thousand and one ways to live like a Christian. There are a lot of admonitions in here. There are a lot of things that say, do this. Our verse today, do not be conformed, but be transformed. Okay, so that could go on our list. The Ten Commandments could go on our list. To live holy and righteously, that could go on our list. To think about the things that are good and lovely, that could go on our list. Don't get me wrong. There are things in here that we are supposed to be doing that are helpful to us. But I think we need to flip it. So that the things we do, the disciplines, the silence, the solitude, and the holy habits of study and worship and fellowship and all those things are so that we are changed from the inside out. They position us in a place where God can have access to us and he can do the transforming.
Without the transformation, without this willingness to let God change us, what we have done is simply created a list of our own moral effort. Wouldn't that be just like replacing the 613 laws of the Old Testament? The 1613 laws of the Old Testament, they could not keep. They needed a savior. The laws, the things that we put on our list that are good, if that's what we think is going to transform us, we're mistaken. We can't do it on our own. We can't do it without Jesus. Paul is talking here is, is that we are so transformed, so changed into the likeness of Jesus, we don't even have to think much about what we're saying or doing. Let's be clear, we're not talking. I want to be very clear that I'm not talking about giving no effort to engaging in creating habits of good behavior. I'm not saying that. But that alone without the willingness to be transformed and to let God have access to our minds and our hearts, we're not getting the degree of transformation he has for us. Let's go deeper. Let's let him have that access. My, I have, uh, last fall I started to, um, I don't hate, I hate to even say this, I started to jog a little. <laughs> And I had a knee problem, so I started. I thought, I'm going to go to a physical therapist. And what happened at my physical therapist, which I love, her name is Beth, is she kind of did an assessment of my ankles and my feet and my knees and my hips and kind of saw how things were aligned and all these different things. And she says, okay, she says, I want you to run on this treadmill, and I'm going to videotape you from in back of you. And then we're going to look at it together. And I'm like, okay, okay, I'm submitting to this. (laughs) I'm submitting to this. And so I'm running on the treadmill and whatever, and we're looking at it. And she says, look at your right leg. And so my left leg is kind of doing what it's supposed to do. And my right leg, my foot comes up and it kind of does this thing. She goes, this is your problem. And she had to show it to me. And she says, first we're going to work on getting that figured out and we're going to start by you having to think really hard about what you're doing. And she says eventually the muscles will get strong enough that you won't have to think about it anymore. I think that that's where the Lord wants to take us is that we get to be so much like him we don't even have to think about it anymore. And when transformation happens, it replaces our list of the flesh with the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is mercy. That he would allow us to become transformed in such a way that the to-do list does not overwhelm and haunt us. It's a supernatural thing that happens. And then over time, one degree at a time, we begin love. We begin to love doing what we ought And we fall out of love with doing what we ought not be doing. It's his great mercy. He doesn't rush us. He's not in a hurry. You don't have to will yourself to be like this tomorrow. In fact, you can't. You cannot say, wouldn't that be nice if I could say, oh, I'm just going to decide to be kind and talk nice all the time. And then you never talk bad again. Wouldn't that be nice? 
If you could just flip a switch, you go into the room, what do I need today? I need a little joy, a little kindness, and um, how about some faithfulness? Okay, great, my day is set. Wouldn't that be nice? But it's not that way. It happens by the renewal of our mind, not by our power. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. We are programmed in a fallen world to believe lies that carry a wrong message. A small group of us are in a book study right now, and the, and the main thing about the book study is that we would um, understand the lies that we have come to believe throughout our lives, and they would be undone. That we would allow God to have access to them to undo them. So, like, for instance, a young boy is watching TV and he sees a plane crash. And somewhere in his mind, the neuron road gets connected and he says, plane crashes are bad. So therefore, I'm not, now he's afraid of flying. Because the neuron has been, made a path in his mind. I'll let Mark talk more about the mind. Because all of a sudden I start talking about that. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to mess that up. But, or as for instance, you know, you're abused as a child. And you come to believe that you are now only an object of someone's attention. You're not, and you don't have any value. Or maybe you have been told your whole life that you're never good enough. Or those kinds of things that the world does to us. It could be when you're young. It could be when you're a teenager. It could be when you're a young adult. It could be when you're a full-grown 70-year-old adult. The world does this to us. And it reinforces it throughout our lives with different things. That we, become, we believe these things to be true. I'm not a good mother. I'm not a good father. You know, all those things, they come in and they hook us. And our mind needs renewal. Or like for me, when I was 13 and I was driving a snowmobile and my sister was on the sled behind me and I wrapped her around a telephone pole. I'm not a good snowmobile driver. Which probably is probably true. But actually, growing up at the lake, we did snowmobiles. We were on snowmobiles all the time. And I got, but I was always afraid every time I got on one to drive one. Because of what happened to me when I sent my sister to the emergency room on Thanksgiving Day. There's so much against us and we don't have what it takes to undo all these lies. But here's where the mercy of God shows up. He says, hang out with me. He says, let me get close to you and I'll do that work. Remember our word metamorpho? (laughs) Here's the third place it's used in scripture kind of running out of time, so I'm going to rush a little bit, but it says this, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unfailed face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, transfigured, metamorpho, into the same image from one degree of glory to another. It's the glorious presence of God, you guys. It's beholding his glory is where we get transformed. It's where he gets access to our hearts. It's where he gets access to the lies. It's where he gets access to the innermost part of our beings that we get transformed. That's how our minds are renewed. Our heart tells our mind how to think. It's why it's so important. This, I did a... Bible study on this and, and it, it says when Moses and 2 Corinthians 3 it says which are, yeah when Moses came down from the mountain that the radiance per, just 
glorified his face. It, it extended out of his face. And the word there is actually a word that could be interpreted maybe as like horns, meaning it came from inside. His face shone so brightly that people were afraid to look at him. Who wants Jesus to be seen so much in your lives that people are like, what? It's this beautiful transformation, and so they put this veil on. And then it says, we all with unveiled face, because of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, the veil is removed. I can't go into all of it. I'll send you my Bible paper if you want it. But it's this beautiful, merciful moment where God says, behold my glory, and I will change you. I will renew your mind. The renewal of our mind has nothing to do with more things on our list and everything to do with beholding his glory. Beholding the one who's the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. We are the joy set before him. Beholding the glory of God is how our mind is renewed. We must fight. We must resist the world that says don't be with him and fight for the things that get us into his presence. And then it happens. We don't have to make it happen. It happens. And then we trust, which is a whole nother sermon. I want to leave you with this. This is the message of our Romans 12, 1 and 2. This is what the message says. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. On the way to work today, when you can only see a quarter mile ahead of you on Highway 35 because of the fog, over and over and over I played the song, May We Never Lose Our Wonder. Let's pray. Father, I, I pray that that would be true, that we would step into your mercy and your grace and quit trying so hard to act the way we think we should act but that we would give more attention to beholding your glory, your majesty, that we would never lose our wonder for you. And that if that does happen and we do find ourselves in a place where we've lost it, Lord, I pray that our discipline would keep putting us in a place where we say yes to trusting you to get it back. If there's anyone in here who's in a dry place, I pray right now in Jesus' name that you would find the place 
where you can sit with him and wait for him. He's with you. He's always with us. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. He's always with us. But I pray that we would become more and more aware of his glory and we would behold it and we would gaze upon it and that, Lord, that you would change us from where we are now to where you want us to be just at the pace you want, which is usually just one degree at a time. Thank you, Jesus. Show.